0: Let's take our Bibles tonight and open please to 2nd Peter chapter number 3, 2nd Peter chapter 3 and you've come back tonight to hear the rest of the story and of course we're praying for God's blessing on the message tonight and again uh, chapter 3 of 2nd Peter is a summation and application of the first two chapters. It really, if you want to understand what Peter is talking about in chapter 3, and then it's important to have a, a good understanding of what he's, what he's talked about, not only in the first two chapters of this second epistle, but as well as his first epistle. And there's so much, they, they go so much together, and a, really uh, a commentaries on one another. And of course, we come tonight and, and we continue this evening. Um, and if you haven't done so yet, I want to draw your attention to four statements and uh, each of them can stand alone, uh, but each of them are at the same time are, are woven together to help us make an application and conclusion in our own heart of hearts. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter number 1, the Bible says, Beloved, be mindful. Uh, in verse 1 it says, Beloved, this second epistle, Beloved. And then of course in verse 2 it says, Be mindful. Note that statement there in verse number 2. And then skipping ahead to verse number 8, we see another statement. Peter writes, he says, Beloved, be not ignorant. Beloved, be not ignorant. There's another command that God gives us, another word of instruction that will help us better understand all that He has for us in our Christian lives. If we move down to verse number 14, we see another statement. He says, Wherefore, beloved. Notice the word beloved. And then a little ways on there in the middle of the verse, he says, Be diligent. Beloved, be diligent. And then in verse number 17, he ends saying, Beloved, it says, Ye therefore beloved. Note the word beloved in verse 17. And then about halfway through the verse, we see a little word, beware. Beloved, beware. Each of these, of course, as I mentioned, can stand alone, but each of them are connected together. And every reference here is, something, is a reference to what uh, Peter has spoken of, whether what he's encouraged us unto, or whether he what he's warned us from. And if you're able tonight, I invite you to stand with me where we we'll read in verse number 1. We'll read down to the end of the chapter beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this. This second epistle beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us the apostles of the Lord and Savior Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is, uh, as a, uh, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. "...looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens uh, being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, looking for new, uh, for new heavens and a, a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness, wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation." Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according uh, to uh, to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware. Lest ye be lest ye also, uh, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you've given to us in your word. Lord, our prayer is that we would understand fully what You intend for us. Lord, both the truth and the application of the truth in our lives. And so, Father, tonight we pray that you would open our eyes that we may behold marvelous things from your law. Father, that you would challenge us, that you would speak to us specifically tonight, an individual level, and help us to be obedient. the Word of God. Lord, may you give us hope tonight. May you give us courage. May you give us a newfound perspective. Lord, may you send revival to our hearts and help us live for thee. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be be seated. Again, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, I'd like to draw your attention to what the Bible says in verse number 8. It's that command we drew your attention to moments ago. It says, Beloved, be not ignorant. Now, this morning we made the distinction that ignorance simply means to be uninformed. And there are many of us who are uninformed. Uh, how many of you have ever been called ignorant? We usually take that, man, that's a pretty, pretty uh, mean thing to say to someone. Uh, but the reality is, all of us to some extent are probably ignorant to certain, uh, about certain things. Now, as, as Christian people... Um, it's important for us that we not be ignorant concerning the things of God. I was talking to Brother Dan Gill yesterday. He used to be a finan- uh, financial investor. I don't know if you knew that or not. Worked in the banking industry. And he, was starting, he started to talk to me about all kinds of different bond issues and, and things to look for. And you know what? I was ignorant. I still am. I was listening to what he was saying, but I had no idea because I'd never studied it out. Now, you and I, we are We are God's children. We've, we've accepted Christ as our Savior and, and as His children, God does not want us to live ignorantly. However, too many times we are willing or willfully ignorant of the things of God. And may I tell you there's no excuse for ignorance as it pertains to God's people. You and I, we have been given God's word. We have the truth. We're to take it, we're to read it, we're to study it. The Bible tells us in, uh, in 2 Timothy, he says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You and I, there is no excuse for ignorance concerning the things of God. And God has given us his word forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, uh, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, but by taking heed thereto, According to thy word. If you remember back from in verse number 19 of chapter 1, the Bible says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. It's important for you and me to to take the word of God, to read it, to meditate upon it, to memorize it, and to know it the more you know God's Word. Now, we're not studying it just for a, a scholastic reasons. We're not just uh, studying the Bible for, uh, to obtain more general knowledge, although you can never do wrong simply reading the Bible. We are reading the Word of God to know God. That I may know Him, the Apostle Paul said the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings. We recognize the power and, and the, just the veracity of God's Word. And we do well to take heed to it. And it just, just by way of review this morning, we saw that, that you and I, we are not to be ignorant. We are to be learned. We are to be educated. We are to know the truth. And part of that, we must learn to, to keep our eyes on the Lord. To keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in, in verse number five, the Bible says this of chapter three, says, For this they willingly are ignorant of. See, the world is, is ignorant. The world, you know what the world does? Instead of looking unto the Lord, they look around. Now, they, they look to one another, they, they look to, uh, to their authors, to their scholars, uh, to their scientists, to their philosophers, and they develop their worldview. How many of you have ever heard the term worldview before? A worldview is, is simply this, and I know this is going to rock your world when I define this for you, so hold on. A worldview is how you view the world. <laughs> it's a, I know, it's an, amazing, it's an amazing definition. But how do you view the world? As Christians, we want to view the world through the lens of God's Word. We don't want to view the world through, uh, through politics. We don't want to view the world through science. Uh, we don't want to view the world uh, through, through philosophy. We want to view the world not through some man's opinion, but we want to view it through the Word of God. And so we want, to, we want the Bible to filter out all of these things and help us to know uh, what, what God intends for us. You see, the Bible is, do you realize the Bible is scientific? Uh, The Bible is philosophical. The Bible is political. The Bible is all of these things. But the Bible helps us have a a good understanding on why we believe what we believe and, and why we think the way we think. Because the desire is for me to get the mind of God on all of these things. And so we must learn to just keep our eyes fixed upon the Lord. Don't be distracted by all the... By all the chaos and confusion that the world is, is pushing and, and promoting. You see, it, life is so much simpler when you keep your eyes upon Jesus Christ. And, and we say that not to think, well, we're just, we're just a bunch of people that bury our heads in the sand and, and just kind of go along uh, just care, carelessly to life. Oh, no, 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 no. We, but we understand the magnitude of the life that God has given to us in that he has called us to live our lives for him and in so doing we want to we want to bring him glory and and to have a have a proper understanding of what is going on in the world based upon the scripture is paramount we must we must know the word of god because we look here and there's all of these scientific arguments see the world there's all kinds of craziness like global warming you know there is such a thing as global warming Peter addresses it here, even in chapter 3, uh, when the world burns up at the end of the age. But that's not anything that man contributes to other than man's sin. There, there's all kinds, and the Lord does address, there's, there's evolution that people push. There's all these different philosophies of the origins of the universe you know, even, even in Christianity, you know, there's a, here's a big one. Uh, oh, what is it called? Uh, uh, some uh, intelligent design. Do you realize that intelligent design does more to help evolution than it does to help the Word of God? It's true. There are more people that that, believe, that, that come to the belief of theistic evolution, a gap theory, a day-age theory, than would believe that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and, and but we, we recognize that that God is in control, that God is that God is uh, that God is still sovereign. He's still seated upon his throne, and that everything that we see, the world that is scarred by sin, the world that that carries the marks of the fall of man and the and the catastrophe. The catastrophe of the the worldwide flood, it was a global flood. It was not a local flood. The the waters uh, came came over the tops of the highest mountains. That's not a local flood. A local flood is when your basement has water in it. This is not a local flood. This was a global catastrophe. We had a conversation with someone at the end of the morning service. But we look even in, in chapter 3 of 2 of, of Peter. We understand this. Why can there not be a gap theory? Why can there not be a day age theory? And the simple answer is this. Because death did not come until the fall of man. In Genesis chapter 3, we find sin entering the world, and death by sin. There was no, if you look at the, at the geological formations uh, scattered around the world. I remember my wife and I, we went to the Grand Canyon. You know what the Grand Canyon shows? If you have an eye for it. Right. Amen. It shows a global flood. It shows the different sedimentary layers from these gigantic tidal waves pummeling the continents, dragging all of these, these animals together and burying them immediately in order to have fossilization. And they only t- It could take a matter of hours to fossilize an animal. You ever wonder, you, how many of you ever had a fish tank? You may ever have a fish tank. I remember my wife, she's, she deserves like 10 million gold medals for living with me and my children. But I remember early on we had a fish tank, and uh, she allowed, She you know, she's like, fine, she agreed to it. But when we went to the pet store, we bought a fish tank. And I bought this really cool looking goldfish, and I bought this other fish. It's called an Oscar, a Tiger Oscar. And we put that fish in this in this tanks, and you know we got it all set up, and we came back, and there was something wrong with the goldfish. It was half eaten. Have you ever seen fish? There's they they devour one another. There's there could be how then could there be fossilization of fish? Without a flood, being buried immediately by the sediments. I mean, just just logical, right? Well, that's I guess that's what you have to have is, is just logic and reasoning. But the Bible addresses all of these things. Look what look at what the Bible says in verse number five. It says, "For this they willingly are ignorant of." So the world in which we live, they're willingly ignorant. of of what God has so clearly, so explicitly stated and described for us. He says, Of that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. The world was overflowed with water. Not to preach the entire morning message again, but if you read in Genesis chapter 1 verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, you find the description of the water and the firmament and the earth. And then in, in chapters 6 and 7 of Genesis, we, we, you could read, you can take time to read of the flood and how the fountains of the deep broke up. And, and, and really, uh, the water that was above, this, this canopy of water that, that enshrouded the earth came down. And... From the water from above and the water uh, from beneath is, was ample enough was was an ample supply to flood the world. The water the world was overflowed with water, and it perished. Except for Noah and his wife, except for their three sons and their wives. And two of every unclean creature, and seven of every clean creature. God is faithful. But the world is willingly ignorant of this. But God has so clearly described it and defined it for us. I you look what else the Word of God says. Look in, in, chap- in verse number 6. He says, I'm sorry. Verse number seven says, "But the heavens that uh, and the earth, which are now, the world that we see, this is nothing new, but the uh, the condition that it is in right now. The former world, all the inhabitants thereof, all the all the vegetation, all of everything, it perished. But the world that is now, the Bible says." Um, uh, by the same word, what word? The word of God. The same word uh, spoken of in, in verse number 5, of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. But it says in verse number 7, uh, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment, of perdition, of ungodly men. You know, we, you and I, we just simply need to, to trust the Lord. The world as we know it is being held together by Almighty God, by the very word of His power. By Him all things consist. The world is going to tell you, uh, the people of the world say, you know what? You, you all need to go and buy electric vehicles uh, because uh, they don't pollute except for the coal-powered fire, uh, coal-powered, or coal-fired power plants that produce the electricity uh, to, to charge your vehicle. Uh, the lithium-ion batteries that do more damage the environment uh, than, than coal. Have you ever seen a lithium-ion mine? It looks like the surface of the moon. It is devastating uh, to, to the environment. <laughs> this is the world. The world's, man. we're all, the polar bears. No other reason than this, the polar bears. We need to save the polar bears You know, the oceans are going to rise. Florida's going to be gone in two weeks, right? But how foolish is it? Everybody, and we, we can joke about it, but that's really, that's their argument. But understand this, none of that's going to happen under the Lord's watch. Everything that we see is being reserved. Yes, there is a time when everything, everything we see is going to be gone. But that time is not yet. Why? Because I want you to know the, sec- the second truth here in the message tonight. It's simply this, that God has a purpose and God has a plan. And you and I, we need to get busy serving Christ. Look what the Bible says in verse number 8, he says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. You realize, you realize what this means, is that God does not operate on our timetable. God is, etern- is eternal. He, and, and he dwells outside of time. Jesus Christ has, has ascended back to heaven. He's only been gone for uh, a roughly 2,000 years, a little bit more. One day is the Lord's a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. So really, in the Lord's time, He's only been gone for about two days. So when Jesus says in in Revelation chapter 22, Behold, I come quickly, He's not lying. He really is coming. He's coming quickly. He's coming soon. His return is imminent. And understanding that that the Lord does not operate on our time schedule, we st- we certainly do not know the day or the hour in which the Son of the uh, in which the Son of Man will return. So, this one thing we do know is that God has a plan, that God has a purpose, and we find that in verse number nine. Look what the Word of God says in verse number nine: it says, "The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness." In other words, God God's not lazy with this; uh, He's not loose with this. Uh, The the promise of God is as sure today as it's ever been. Jesus Christ is coming back with life and liberty for all who believe. Praise the Lord that, that my Savior reigns and that His word is true. But at the same time, there's a reason that He has not returned. And He tells us why He has tarried His coming. The Bible says this in verse number 9. He says, But the long suffering, uh, I'm sorry, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I want you to note the word perish in verse number 9. In verse number 6, the word is also used perished. The world perished. All the inhabitants of the world perished. All mankind perished, except for the eight who found their resting place in the ark. Here we find that Jesus Christ is the, is the ark. You think uh, even in in uh in 1 Peter, the Bible says. Um, In verse number 20 of chapter three of First Peter, it says, "Which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, The Lord is long-suffering. He was long-suffering in the days of Noah. Can you imagine? here we have He's building the ark. It took him 120 years to construct the ark. He was a preacher of righteousness. And as he, as he built, as they prepared that ark, he preached the gospel. You've got to get in the ark. The only refuge that you have is found in the ark. You're not, you, the only way you'll be saved from the wrath that is to come is by getting in the ark. Consider the long-suffering, of, the, the long-suffering nature of our God. The Bible goes on to say while the ark was a preparing we're in few, few. That is 8 souls were saved by water. What does it mean to be saved by water? It means this. It means these 8 individuals got in the ark and the flood came. God closed the door. And that boat floated on the water. And we look here, the Bible speaks of baptism in this same chapter. He says, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth now also uh, does uh, also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is this baptism that that? That Peter's talking about. There's no such thing as baptismal regeneration. and you know, We have a baptistry here up on the platform. When, when an individual comes down into the water and is baptized, is that salvation? Oh, no, no, no. That's not the baptism that, that uh, this is a, a reference to. So, the word baptize means to place in. To immerse oneself in. Noah, his wife... His three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, their three wives, baptized themselves in the ark. They immersed themselves inside that ark. And when the flood came, they were spared. Why? Because they were in the ark. There was no salvation outside the ark. That's why it says, Wherefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. Water baptism does not save. Only faith in Jesus Christ saves. But we look back and we see this, this great and this mighty verse. We see here the will of God in verse number 9 of, of chapter number 3 of Second Peter. What is the will of God? The will of God is for all men to be saved... The Bible says, and notice, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, I'm very thankful for the patience of God, aren't you? How, how long-suffering God is. He suffers long. We, we continually sin against Him. We break His law. We fail to give Him glory. And And truly... We deserve, the, the world deserves the wrath of God. But he's long-suffering to us-ward. It's a very inclusive term. You know what it's a reference to? It's a reference to all of mankind. That's who, that's who Peter is speaking of. To us-ward. Not willing to... Not willing. Note that statement. Not willing. In other words, this is not his will. Not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. The word repentance, it's an interesting word. It's really a military term. You see... I'm headed one direction and I repent and I turn exclusively to Christ. This is what repentance is. It's a turning from my self-effort, from my self-righteousness. At the same time it's a I'm turning from from sin. I'm sad by my sin. Why? Because my sin nailed my Savior to the cross. I understand that, you know what, my, my righteousness, which, may I tell you, is, is no righteousness at all, my righteousness is insufficient. My good works, the Lord deems to be filthy rags. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but his mercy, but according to his mercy, has saved us by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. We, we repent. We turn from our sin. We turn from our self-effort. And we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You see, it's not God's desire God God does not want to send anyone to a place called hell. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know what, God, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to become sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. It is the Lord's desire to save every one of us. For He is the propitiation for our sin, but not for ours only. For the sins of the whole world, there's no such thing as a limited atonement. It is a universal atonement. The price has been paid for all mankind, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Lord's desire is that all of us would look to Him and trust in Him for our salvation. This is what repentance means. Repentance is, is not a work. It's an action. Look what the Bible says. In Acts chapter number 20, please. Do you realize there are, some, there are some Christians in the world today that believe that repentance is a work? But repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ is a simultaneous action. I'm turning from from me, my self-effort, because you realize that your self-effort is still sin. And I turn to Jesus Christ. Well, I can't do it on my own. I can not get to heaven on my own. No matter how good you think I am. Which, if you spend two minutes—no, you spend two seconds—with me, you'll know I'm a terrible guy. Look what the Bible says in, in Acts chapter twenty, in verse number twenty. The Bible says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ." It's one simultaneous action in the heart of man. Headed my own way. and repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because they're the same person. It's just trusting in Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. How does this involve me? Well, I need to get busy serving Christ. Do you realize that you and I are His messengers? Look what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter number five. says for the love of Christ, verse number fourteen. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So the Lord wants you to live your life for him. He's your Savior. He's your Master. He's your Lord. Jesus asked his followers, why well, call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. But he wants us to live our lives for him. We're, not, we're no longer going to live our lives for us. It's, life is no longer about me. Life is about Jesus Christ. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It says, wherefore, verse number 16, wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, I want you to note that statement there at the end of verse number 18. The ministry of reconciliation. You and I are, are to be actively involved in this ministry of reconciliation. The Bible describes this uh, in verse number 19. It says, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. What is this ministry of reconciliation? It's the gospel ministry. This is exactly what it is. We go out. We tell other people that they're at odds with God. That they have sinned against the holy God. And because of their sin, they're unable to have a relationship with God or any hope for eternity. However, the word of reconciliation has also been given unto us. This great ministry. And it is the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the one that did all the reconciling. He's the one that died. He's the one that rose again. He's the one that offers salvation to all who will come to Him by faith. And He allows you and me to have this great part in it. And the Bible says in verse number 20, says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. It is is God's will for all men to be saved. And you and I are his ambassadors in this great and noble mission. Can you think think of, of anything that is more grand or glorious or spectacular than being a witness for Jesus Christ? The Lord wants to use you to bring lost men to the truth. He wants to use you to be a witness of this powerful gospel. To see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The reality is, you and I, we just need to get busy. Because the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. But as long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Look what the Bible says in verse 10 of 2 Peter chapter 3. You see, understanding that we know that the Lord is coming back, He promised to do so. He's not a liar. What He says He will do, He keeps His word. The Bible says in verse number 10, notice but the day of the Lord will come. But the day of the Lord will come. It hasn't come yet, but it will. The only reason it hasn't is because the Lord is long-suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. As a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. You know, as we read that verse, it's striking. Of course, the heavens are going to pass away. The earth uh, is going to be dissolved. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. But at the end of the verse, the Bible says, And the works that are therein shall be burned up. The works shall be burned up. What does this mean for you and me? I want you to write the third lesson down. Is that we must be ready to stand before Christ. We must be ready to stand before Christ. Everything I do in this life is going to be tried by fire. Of course, we understand that the world is going to pass away. That all the elements will melt. I want you to look with me what the Bible says quickly in the the book of the Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. Verses 1 and 2. The Apostle John writes, describes what he sees. In verse 1 he says of chapter 21, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Everything, everything that we see is going is to go away. The Lord's going to make all things new. The Bible says, And I, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write. Write it down! For these words are true and faithful. All of this is going to be gone. But make no mistake, everything is going to be tried by fire. Would you look with me, if, if you would please, in 1 Corinthians Chapter three. First Corinthians chapter three, in beginning in verse number 11. The Bible says, "For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. All the works that are ever done, everything you and I do, will be tried. Not only will the world be destroyed and the Lord make everything new, but everything that we do in this life, we will stand before Christ at his judgment seat and give account for. I want you to look with me back in in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And notice again what the Bible says in verse number 8. It says, we are confident, and I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. It says, wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. Remember, we're busy serving Christ. We labor. We minister, we tell other people about the Lord. Because the Lord wants all men to be saved and come under the knowledge of the truth. And the Bible goes on to say in verse number 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or, uh, or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Huh. What am I persuading men concerning their need for Jesus Christ? I don't want to stand before my Savior empty handed. Now, part of this motivation is not, it should not be for self gain or self glory, but for the glory of Jesus Christ. We have a just God, a loving God, a faithful God who has saved us by his grace. called us to be His ambassadors. Given us the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation. So we would go out and persuade men because the only thing that matters at the end of this life is what we've done for Jesus. It's not about some building It's not about some grand edifice that man has constructed. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus came, why? To save you! To save me! To save these people who are driving up and down this road. To save your neighbor, to save your coworker, to save that person you don't even like. To save those people whose sin we think is detestable. But we fail to recognize that even lying lips are abomination to the Lord. Christ came to save sinners. Be not ignorant. Don't live your life for things that don't matter. Don't live your life for anything or anyone less than Jesus Christ. He's worthy. And he deserves all that we do. And may all we do for him be done with pure motives. May God help us. All this is going to be gone. But God's given us a work to do. One day we're going to stand before him. But don't be distracted by the things of this world. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Just keep serving Him. Keep living your life for Him. Keep telling others about Him. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed,